What makes a life a good one? Is it the adventure you have? Or the friends you find along the way? Maybe it's pursuing your passion while striving to protect, defend, and save what you believe in every single day. So what makes a life a good one? In the Coast Guard, we think it's all of the above and more. But you'll have to find out for yourself. Visit GoCoastGuard.com to learn more. Ah. The comfort of your favorite seat is now your comfy car-selling command center, thanks to Carvana. It doesn't get any better than this. Your favorite seat's the best spot in the house. Make it even better by entering your license plate or VIN and getting a real offer in minutes. There really is no place like home. And speaking of home, Carvana will pick up your car from yours after you finalize your offer. Visit Carvana.com or download the app and sell your car from your comfy place. CarMax is putting peace of mind back in car shopping by putting you in the driver's seat to find a ride that's right for you. Because at CarMax, we believe you shouldn't just settle for a car. You should love your car. That's why every car we sell is CarMax certified quality so you can be sure with upfront pricing that's the same for every customer. So don't settle. Find love at first drive and start shopping now at CarMax.com. CarMax, the way car buying should be. Design is never fully done, which is another thing I think we talk about a lot at Hunker, which is it's a process that you're always going through because if your space is really a sort of reflection of yourself and expression of your identity, those things change over time. The things you want to reveal about yourself in your space also change. Welcome to Being Home with Hunker, a podcast where we explore the idea of home, not just as a place where you live, but as an expression of your identity. Hi, everyone. Welcome to the show. I'm Lori Gunning Grossman, Hunker's editorial director. Today on the show, we have Eve Epstein. Eve is the VP of content and editor in chief of Hunker. Yes, this Hunker, the brand behind this podcast. Eve has been at the helm of Hunker since its launch in 2017, leading the brand's voice, vision, and heart. She has a deep appreciation for design, creativity, and inclusivity. From her rich career in the world of content, including her role as the editor-in-chief at Daily Candy, which was an email newsletter that was beloved by many of us, to authoring two books, Eve is a true storyteller. In this episode, Eve shares a bit about her own story from spending summers in Japan as a child and how that formed her design aesthetic, to her love for DIYs, to the progressive way she and her beau have set up their home life. Of course, we dig into the world of hunker and how the pandemic has changed the way we use our home. So if you've ever been curious about hunker, this is a show to listen to. Eve is a compassionate leader. She's intelligent. She's intuitive. And she fosters a freedom of creativity in the workspace and in her home. So let's welcome our guest, Eve Epstein. Hi, Eve. How's it going? I'm very excited to be talking with you today. So let's get started. You've been with Hunker from the very beginning. And here's what I'm imagining. So this podcast is an arm of Hunker. And some people may come to the podcast but might not necessarily be familiar with Hunker, the brand. So say you're talking to somebody who's never heard of Hunker. They're from another planet and they just landed on Earth. <laughs> How would you describe Hunker and Hunker's mission. 
Well, luckily this just happened. So it's great. I was just this weekend talking to an ET from outer space. Hunger is a site for people who want to take control of their space and who want to express themselves through their space and through design. We really wanted to create something that was both inclusive, which is to say could speak to lots of different people in lots of different sort of living circumstances, but also beautiful and inspirational. You notice I don't use the word aspirational because I think that that sort of implies kind of an old media model that sort of suggests that you're constantly striving to become somebody else, somebody richer or more famous or more influential than yourself. Whereas I think for us, the goal is always to be more fully yourself and for your space to reflect that. Our belief is that design is one of the ways you achieve that. Design being something also that speaks to more than simply the visual, but to all of your senses, to all of the things that matter to you, and of course, to the sort of functionality and the things that you actually do in your space. All of that is part of what we talk about when we talk about design. When you're talking about senses, are you meaning like candles you bring into your home, the art? What are you, what are you talking about? For sure. I think one of the things that has changed so much in the way that people think about their homes is that we really think of it as sort of a 360 environment. And so much of the technology that has come along in the past 10 years or so really addresses that. So everything from the way you design sound in your space, whether that's the sound system that you listen to music on or the ways in which you actually use a device like an Echo or a Google Home device to communicate with each other and with your space, to things like temperature and climate control, to things like smells, and of course to, in general, the sense of touch, which of course is so important in any design of any space. So textures, comfort, you know, it's certainly possible to design a beautiful looking space that doesn't take those things into consideration. But at the end of the day, we want to be talking about and encouraging people to create spaces that are highly livable, that kind of contribute to their happiness and well-being, as well as to their sort of aesthetic pleasure or to the pleasure of showing it off to other people, all of which we also like, but not contained within that. Yeah, it's so important too. like right now from the pandemic and how we're all spending time at home and we're working from home and expressing ourselves even more through our homes. It's so important. The 360 experience. Yeah, exactly. And I think, you know, I have to credit my boyfriend. I heard him say this at one point during kind of in the midst of, of the kind of pandemic days when we were really stuck at home quite a lot. And he said, you know, your home used to be your castle and now it's your whole kingdom. And it really does feel like that in the sense that we've had to convert these spaces that we think of as being very sort of unifunctional, right? Your bedroom is your bedroom and your dining room is where you eat. Well, now my bedroom is where I work. Our dining room is where my boyfriend works. And of course, all sorts of other things came into play as well from, you know, our homes becoming schoolhouses to being places where we exercise and take care of ourselves physically and our wellness spaces. So, I mean, in a weird way, I think that's what they always should have been. And of course, it shouldn't take a pandemic and a horrible situation to drive us uh, to that realization. But one of the silver linings of it, I think, is that we've gotten a lot smarter and resourceful about our spaces. And that's something I really love 
thinking about and talking about on Hunker. I think it's really expanded our sense of what we talk about, going from straight conversations about design to things like food and comfort and wellness and health, because all of those things now are part of our home life in a new way. Yeah, I love yeah. that. You know, I love that. Um, I want to dig a little bit into your background. Okay. Dun, dun, dun. <laughs> so you grew up in New York City. I did, yeah. It seems like a million years ago, and it was just shy of a million years ago, I would say. <laughs> <laughs> and your parents divorced when you were six, and your mom was Japanese? My mom was Japanese. And she moved back to Japan when you were a child? Yeah, she moved back to Japan. So I really grew up after that with my dad, and his family was very involved, in particular his parents, his mom. And then he remarried when I was eight. And so then my stepmother became kind of my second mom and then really my primary mom. But it was certainly an interesting time. You know, it was the 70s. I was growing up with a single dad for a period of time, which was just considered being a unicorn. You know, it was like being an alien. Like there were like yeah. magazine stories about us and stuff because it was just so unheard of. And you would spend some of your summers in Japan visiting your mom? I did. I traveled to Japan in the summers starting when I was about seven and would spend sort of large kind of swaths of time there. So, you know, two to three months in the summer, I would be in Japan in a completely different culture with a completely different family. So that was, of course, very interesting, too. And I think really, you know, formed a lot of my sensibilities, a lot of the things that I love and my particular kind of design tastes and aesthetics kind of formed in part as a result of that travel. Yeah, that's what I wanted to ask you about, like seeing how people live there. How has that informed your sense of how people use their space, your sense of style, your sense of design? Is it something you've carried with you throughout the years? For sure. It's almost impossible to spend time in Japan. At least I, don't, I shouldn't say that. I don't I can't speak for other people uh, and not be impacted by the role that design plays. And it, I would say roles because there are lots of different ways to experience design and to experience beauty in that part of the world, some of which is really oriented around a kind of minimalism or a kind of spareness. But then sort of when it came to the more popular culture aspects of Japanese sort of subcultures and, and popular culture, there's this kind of profusion of color and this whole sort of anime and, and Hello Kitty of it all. And both of those styles really, really impacted me. And I find myself continuously drawn to that, but also to this kind of weird sense that they can coexist so beautifully. Like I remember in my mom's apartment, which was largely a Western style apartment, but that it still had very, very Japanese kind of elements, which was, I think, fairly typical. So one room had tatami in it. It had, you know, some of the rice paper sliding doors, stuff like that. And in general, the kind of decor was fairly minimal. But then sort of Within that, she would have these like little figurines that were super cartoony and cute. And, you know, for whatever reason, it just became sort of intrinsic to the way I see the world. Mm. And while I find it's harder to kind of pull that off as a grown up now, I still find it very appealing. And I love all things Japanese culture, almost all things. Of course, there are always things that aren't as great about any culture. But, you know, certainly the visual style and the approach to the aesthetic there is fascinating to me. Yeah. And your grandmother was a geisha. She had been. Yeah. She was the only grandmother that I remember. She was actually technically my step-grandmother. She was my mm. grandfather's second wife and had been, I think, known to him for many years prior <laughs> to marrying her. 
And of course, she was not a working geisha once she got married, but she brought with her such a strong, strong sense of that sort of traditional Japanese aesthetic into my life. And she did practice so many of the sort of traditional arts um, that are associated with the practice of geishas throughout the years. So in particular, she was kind of a recognized master of Japanese tea ceremony. And so she had this beautiful, beautiful tea house sort of as part of their home kind of compound just outside of Tokyo. People would come from all over to study with her and to have tea with her. And that in and of itself was just such an indelible kind of experience. And, you know, everything she did was just with this sense of like a remarkable grace. And um, she didn't speak any English at all. And I didn't speak any Japanese by that time, but she would just chit chat with me all day. And it was just great fun and just would show me all of the things she had made, whether it was paintings, sort of fabrics that she had created. She just was really remarkable. Do you have any of her pieces? Like any of her art? I don't have any of the stuff that she made. Actually, that's not true. I have a couple of pieces and they happen to be in storage just because I've moved around a lot in the past 10 years or so. And I do have some of her teaware as well. She didn't make that, but it's stuff that came out of their home and that she had used as part of that. Beautiful. Yeah, it's cool. Someone did a tea ceremony for me not so long ago. It's the best. It's so weird and so great. I love it so much. Yeah, I was crying and crying because there was so much beauty in it. (laughs) That's so nice. I don't think I ever cried. It's true. Yeah. (laughs) But you have to sit on your knees for such a long time. And that always was really hard for me. Did you have to sit on your knees? Okay, so maybe I wasn't in a No, maybe I wasn't in a full traditional tea ceremony. Yeah. What I loved about it, it was such an act of beauty and just the service of making tea and serving it and the movements with it. Yeah. It was so beautiful. Like it was very loving. It is. It's a strange sort of combination of very choreographed mm, mm-hmm. and sort of exaggerated, but also super simple. Yeah. Right. And kind of every gesture has meaning yeah. and every gesture has purpose. But sometimes the gesture is exaggerated enough that you can't quite see the purpose in it, or it just takes you out of it in this kind of really interesting way and makes you think about the whole process a little differently and experience it differently. So everything from like folding the napkin thing that you wipe the cup with, all of that is just very stylized. At the same time, it all derives from function. It all derives from sort of like, this is the process you go through to make a cup of tea, and you're not going to take any part of it for granted. Every single tiny movement is something that deserves a kind of attention. Um, And I think that's where that feeling of being cared for and being cared about comes from when somebody finally hands you that. It's this sense of this whole process has been for you. Yeah, it's so beautiful. And as you're talking about this, it's making me think of one of the reasons why people resonate so much with handmade items for our homes. Yes. Things that have been made with someone's hand and the care and the energy and the authenticity around it. Yep. Really matters. It really matters. And of course, it is something we love to talk about on Hunker and we love to feature artisans and artists who create things by hand. And I do think, you know, there's this sense really of anything that somebody has made and put time and effort and talent and consideration into, you know, this sense that that comes with you when you walk away with that product and that care resides in that product in a very different way from something that was mass produced 
the same time, you know, there are so many great things about things that are mass produced in the sense that it, it does enable people with less means to acquire beautiful things. And so much of modern design has been kind of that tension between the value that you get in something like a mass produced item and certainly something that's mass produced, but still responsibly is something we love too. But then also kind of those moments of real communion that happen in a very particular item that somebody, you know, I think it's one of the reasons when you go to a museum and you look at antiquities and you see something that was made by somebody hundreds of years ago, and there's still a sense of presence in it. I have actually a couple of Japanese pieces where you can actually sort of see the thumbprint, you know, the shape that made the shape. Mm. Again, it's that sort of impression of a person's hand, a real person's hand, that was there, you know? And so one of the things, and I mentioned this earlier, that we really wanted to be able to do at Hunker was to be able to connect people with great design, no matter what price point they were kind of working with. And certainly, you know, if the ideal is that every piece of furniture and everything in your home was made by hand, and if you can afford to do that and to support artisans in that way, of course you want to do that. Uh, the reality for almost everybody is that it's going to be a mixture of those things. So then the question becomes, hey, what are the things that I'm going to, you know, really invest in that have meaning for me that goes beyond just the aesthetic potentially, right? But it's also about that process or that particular person or the sort of intrinsic, you know, sort of value of that work for you that's represented by that piece. In thinking about this, it's one of the things that we love to feature on Hunker are DIYs, mm -hmm. where we encourage people to make their own things for their homes, mm -hmm. whether it's something simple like a vase made out of air-dry clay, or it's creating a mural for your wall or a piece of art for your wall, something bigger. Well, exactly. And I think when it comes to DIY, which of course, you know, I love and you and I, I think have been partners on this project for a long time, mm. as you, Lori, do oversee the production of DIY content for the site. For me, the process of creating something that then you're going to get to live with and among, to me, is just such a great example of, I think, what we strive for across the board with Hunker, which is that everything in your home has the potential to have meaning for you. And when you've made it yourself and when you've invested your own time and your own vision into something, even if it's imperfect, there's just an eternal connection that you have with that thing. And I love doing DIY projects. And I think especially in the home, DIY can really refer to almost anything. It can be anything from like, okay, I fixed that faucet by myself and I'm really proud of that to I painted that mural by myself or I created that wall hanging. But even, you know, down to, you know, I looked at a space and I envisioned what it could be. And I purchased and, you know, sort of curated products in a way that really is unique to my vision is a form of DIY as well. And something that we also really carry through, I think. The idea being we love interior designers. We take so much inspiration from them. We try to learn from them. But at the end of the day, so much of what we look at is a home that just a regular person came into and created out of their own mind and out of their own vision, even if they're not an expert, or maybe even particularly if they're not an expert. That to me is always so exciting too. Yeah, I agree. Of course, what the Hunker House is a lot about too, because really that's our space to go in and play and experiment and learn design on our own terms. Let's talk a little bit about that because Hunker is not just an online site. Hunker is 
is real. It's real. Hunger is in real life it as is. well. It is. Do you want to talk a little bit about what's yes. happening? Yes. You know, one of the things that actually, I think, even from like the first day we launched Hunker, we talked about this idea of having a space that could sort of function as like a real life programming platform for us in the same way that we publish things on our website or we publish things on Instagram or on Pinterest. We also wanted a real place to create and think about design and converse about design. So Hunker House sort of came about as a outgrowth of that conversation. And it really has been an incredible tool for us for that type of experimentation as a way of extending the conversation that we have on Hunker about design, about home. You know, sort of very technically, just to tell everybody what it is, it's a space in Venice, in Los Angeles, that is essentially created to be a home and an expression of the Hunker brand sort of identity as it evolves and as the conversation around design evolves. So it's not a huge space, it's about 2,200 square feet, and it's really designed to mirror the kinds of spaces that we often talk about, which are not necessarily super expensive mansions. They are more person and family-sized spaces where we look for beautiful design solutions and create spaces that we think are beautiful and livable. And in fact, we invite people to come and spend time in the space and to even stay overnight in the space because, again, we really want it to be a functioning home as well as sort of a design lab or a show house or all of the other things that it sort of gets likened to. It's also been a great place for us to create content. So that's one of the things we do a lot in there is we bring in products from designers and brands that we love. We style the products in ways that we love and then photograph it. And that happens both as kind of an editorial brand-centered exercise, but it also can be in a partnership relationship with somebody who's a sponsor, say, um, and we'll bring in products from their selection and create original content that then sort of goes out to our community via our website and our socials and all of that stuff. Yeah. And while People can't necessarily go visit the Hunker House, but can see things that are going on on Hunker.com. We do have a new space, a pop-up, where some people can stop by. Yes. A short window of time, but let's talk about that. Hopefully the first of many. So last week, we opened up our first Hunker newsstand, which is essentially a little pop-up shop that lives right now uh, just on Abbott Kinney Boulevard in Venice, not far at all from the Hunker House itself. And the idea there was really to create a space that would function as almost like a real-life incarnation of our premium holiday gift guide. Um, And so the interior of this space, it's a showcase for all of the products that we curated and shot and published within our premium digital gift guide. Um, But in addition, we created a print version of it, a sort of a little magazine or not a little one, it's sort of large format. And the exterior is actually looks like a newsstand. And the idea is really that we were trying to reference the role that the newsstand traditionally has played in people's and in communities' lives, which is to say it's a very, very sort of hyper-local thing that brings people news from the world and brings people together in that very particular way. The news in this case, in quotation marks, that we're talking about is, of course, the content we create on Hunker. And so that gift guide, that printed gift guide is also available to people via that sort of external interface. So we do really encourage if you are in LA to come by and take a look. We're not actually selling product from the space 
place. It's more of a showroom style experience where essentially you can look at and touch the products within the space, but then purchase online via essentially a QR code type of interface. And so far it's been super, super fun. And yeah, the idea is for us to continue to pop these up either in and around the same area or in different locations, sort of depending on the next couple months of conversations that we have both internally and with some of the partners that we work with, but essentially to really give people a different kind of an entry point into the Hunker brand. That's sort of the idea there. I love it so much. Um, We were both there last week together and it was so much fun. It's a great experience. Okay, I want to talk a little bit more about you. Okay. And your home. Yes. I've been to your home. Yes, you have. And you live in a mid-century style home. Yes. And I believe that you have described it as eclectic modern with colorful boho accents. Oh, I like that. Yes. If, if I said that, then good for me. And I completely agree. What I love about how experience your design style is that there's a freedom to it and it feels... Like you're not following anyone's specific design trends or what people are saying we should all be doing. There's beauty. There's a little boho. There's a little minimalism. There's modern. How did you design your home? What inspired you? And also, what does inspire you? Yeah. Art, music, books, Mm -hmm, go. mm Mm-hmm. Well, first of all, thank you. I do love our home. And I have to say, I have to give a lot of credit to my boyfriend who has just an amazing sensibility when it comes to design and in many ways and in many cases led the way for the design of this space. In particular, before we moved in, he really rethought the space and created, I think, a kind of canvas that made so much more sense for the way we live. He created space for a big dining area, which we love, although we don't have lots of dinner parties. We love just the space to be able to do that when we do. But in terms of the interior design, really is the product, I would say, of a conversation between the two of us, um, which of course is one of the ways we like to talk about design is as a conversation and sort of bringing in things. Yes, there certainly are references and things that we love and then also things that we brought with us. And again, particularly he brought some beautiful pieces from his old life, you know, his past. So, you know, that gave us kind of the opportunity to really bring in everything from like a beautiful kind of platinum lounge chair to some beautiful sort of deco pieces and and I think really contributes to that sort of eclecticism of the space that doesn't make it feel all one note. Um, And then in other cases, really committing to a few pieces that were done by local artisans or local craftspeople. There's a couch in our kind of main living area that was created by a designer named Ty O'Neill, who lives in Los Angeles, and just creates such beautiful, distinctive pieces. And so, and you know, at the same time, pulling in stuff from Target or Ikea, where, you know, we saw something that we thought looked great and didn't, you know, necessarily have the budget to go beyond or didn't want to go beyond. We really felt we'd found what we liked. Of course, the space is always evolving too. So we'll redo spaces as things change and as we sort of see something looking a little bit less interesting to us. And in that sense, I would say the design is never fully done, which is another thing I think we talk about a lot at Hunker, which is, you know, it's a process that you're always going through because if your space is really a sort of reflection of yourself and expression of your identity, those things change over time. The things you want to reveal about yourself in your space also change. So, I mean, I think artwork for us is something that 
first of all, I feel incredibly fortunate to live among some beautiful, beautiful pieces of art, mostly, again, brought in to the space by my boyfriend. But in addition to some like beautiful Rocher prints, beautiful Damien Hirst print, we also make stuff ourselves. So, you know, we created like a little origami artwork thing that lives on the wall in our living room or I made a giant large-scale macrame wall hanging that sort of functions as sort of a room divider. Again, it's that combination of things that we purchased, that we brought with us from our past, and that we made and created ourselves. So that's sort of the heart of it for us. And yeah, I think color is something that we play with more in this space than I ever have in the past. That's been really fun, too. Okay, picture this. It's Friday afternoon when a thought hits you. I can spend another weekend doing the same old whatever, or I can hop into my all-new Hyundai Santa Fe and hit the road. With available H-Track all-wheel drive and three-row seating, my whole family can head deep into the wild. Conquer the weekend in the all-new Hyundai Santa Fe. Visit HyundaiUSA.com or call 562-314-4603 for more details. Hyundai, there's joy in every journey. Okay, picture this. It's Friday afternoon when a thought hits you. I can spend another weekend doing the same old whatever, or I can hop into my all-new Hyundai Santa Fe and hit the road. With available H-Track all-wheel drive and three-row seating, my whole family can head deep into the wild. Conquer the weekend in the all-new Hyundai Santa Fe. Visit HyundaiUSA.com or call 562-314-4603 for more details. Hyundai, there's joy in every journey. Okay, picture this. It's Friday afternoon when a thought hits you. I can spend another weekend doing the same old whatever, or I can hop into my all-new Hyundai Santa Fe and hit the road. With available H-Track all-wheel drive and three-row seating, my whole family can head deep into the wild. Conquer the weekend in the all-new Hyundai Santa Fe. Visit HyundaiUSA.com or call 562-314-4603 for more details. Hyundai, there's joy in every journey. Are you open to sharing a little bit about the setup of your home, the compound? Yes, of course. Type of setup? Okay, yeah, go. yeah. It's very progressive. It's very progressive. We didn't do it because of that, although I'm sure we've been fairly self congratulatory about it at, at various <laughs> moments. Yeah. So when Seth and I first met, we were both separating from our spouses, and he was still living at home with his ex and his children in a beautiful, beautiful house in Los Angeles, but, you know, was looking to obviously move out and figure out kind of what the next thing would be. They were in the grand tradition of Mandeville Canyon families. They were separating, sort of consciously uncoupling, and were very interested in retaining a certain kind of family circle, even as they ended their romantic relationship. And so what ended up happening was that the house right next door came on the market just as they were talking about this, and they purchased that house as well. And so it became this kind of amazing compound where he and I live in the new house and his ex and children live in the other house. I mean, the children are back and forth. We're all back and forth. We've got dogs. We had a cat until very recently. Uh, there's some guinea pigs. So it's it's a whole situation. And it's also just a beautiful property that you know used to be two and now is one. And it's an interesting thing also for me because the other house was also a design that he 
was very involved in creating. And so you can sort of see his style evolution from that house to this house, which there is definitely a through line, but there's definitely a difference too. So I get to sort of see his whole kind of design past, or not his whole design past, but a good chunk of it, which is kind of fun too. Yeah, that's very cool. Yeah. What is your favorite room in your house? I think I'd be lying if I said it wasn't the bedroom. I do spend (laughs) an inordinate amount of time in here. And for me, I think I have a very special (laughs) relationship to sleep. (laughs) So in that sense, it's a very happy place for me and one that has not in any way been sullied by the fact that I do my work here and that I do spend a great deal of time here. And then, of course, I really love our kitchen just because it really is the heart of our home and quite physically, literally it is. It sort of connects to all the other public spaces or communal spaces in the house. And it's beautiful and I love to cook, although I don't do enough of it these days. But yeah, I'd say the bedroom. I know that you share your space with your sweetheart. And one of the things that we talk about on this podcast is about how our homes are reflections are of identities. Yes. And so one thing I love to find out about when I talk to people is if someone walked into your home and didn't know you, how would they describe the person that lived there? How does your home reflect you? I'm going to try to answer this without sounding conceited or in any way self, <laughs> self-satisfied. Um, I think they would think that creative people lived in the space, that happy people live in the space, and that people with a sense of humor and a sense of play live in the space. But yeah, I would say those are the things that I certainly hope come through. Those are the parts of ourselves that I think we did consciously try to manifest, kind of our love for the creative process and a sense of levity are all things that that I hope come through. Mm-hmm. And are there any things in your home that you hold as most valuable? Not a ton of actual things. I would say, of course, there's art that I think is beautiful and it's meaningful and it's stuff that I would certainly put up there. You know, it's funny because we, a couple years ago, more than once we've had to evacuate because of the wildfires in LA. And I've always been sort of amazed by when you're packing things up to go, of course, we're never prepared. I never like had a thing, you know, pre-packed or anything. I essentially brought nothing but the dog and the cat. You know, like nothing jumped into my head in that moment that I would need to kind of rescue in that way. You know, there's some art that in particular was either given to me by somebody who means a lot to me. I have a painting, a portrait of my cat who actually just passed away that my ex-husband commissioned for me, which I think would obviously be very important. And artwork by friends, things like that. But In general, you know, honestly, no, not really beyond that. It's just in that way, everything is so replaceable. You know, it just doesn't matter. When you're home, what lights you up? I think my favorite thing is when I come home, which doesn't happen that much anymore because I don't go very many places. (laughs) But this used to be more the case where I would come home and Seth would already be home and he will have just created such a beautiful atmosphere in kind of the main living space where he'll have candles lit and he'll have fire going and music on and sort of an open bottle of wine. And to me, that is the thing, you know, of course, just that sense of 
I mean, not that he doesn't do that for himself, but that knowledge that he also does it in anticipation of me being home is so beautiful to me and so meaningful. So that I love, I mean, this is not at all what you're supposed to do or probably say. I just love like being in bed and watching TV and (laughs) just with Seth and with the dog. But honestly, it's really, you know, mostly just being together with the people and animals that I love and, uh, more than anything, my dog is just, you know, something that can always light me up. He's just yeah, everything. The magic of animals. Yes. We talk about that a lot, actually, you and we I. We do. We do. There's a magic in that relationship that is so, it's just, it amazes me all the time. Yeah. You know, that you're with this other species and yet you have this love and this connection. Like that's total magic to me. Yeah. It's otherworldly. I know it is. Yeah. There's nothing like that in like the human to human world as as meaningful, of course, as that is too. It's just so yeah, different. Yeah. It's different. Mm-hmm. I love that you said Seth sets an ambiance and a mood with candles Mm-hmm. and lighting. That's become a non-negotiable for me. Mm-hmm. I light candles just about every single night. And I realize a lot of that comes from when I was growing up, when mom was very big on the mood mm-hmm. of creating like, you know, a space. Did your parents do that for you or is this kind of new for you? Yeah. My dad wasn't like a real ambiance guy, but not like in a bad way. I just don't think he really thought that much about that. Although he created ambiance in all sorts of other ways. He's a musician and he played music constantly. And so that's, you know, something that I think became a very big part of of my world as a result. But Betsy, my stepmom or mom, she did always have candles. She always had flowers. You know, she sort of loved creating a space. And I think that really did contribute a lot to those things for me. Beautiful. Yeah. Now I have two more questions for you. So one is work related and one is personal related. The first one, work is about hunker as we will be moving into 2022. What is something that you would want people to know about hunker? It's a great question. I would want people to experience the conversation that our team is having because that to me is really what the brand is all about. And there is a way to experience that. And of course, that is just being a reader and an audience member of hunker. But it is such a remarkable group of people all from very, very sort of different perspectives, but with a very beautiful commitment to the conversation and to the brand itself and to each other. And to me, that is what I hope people get to experience when they come to Hunker or when they experience us wherever they happen to meet us in the world. And yeah, I think, you know, it's incredibly positive. It's incredibly inclusive. It's clever, but it's not snarky. And I think it's really about this idea that design can be a force for good in your life and in the world. I love that. And I do love what you said about Hunker. There are real people behind Hunker and people with heart. Our team is amazing. Amazing. And there's a lot of heart going on here. Like we have good intentions about people and design and homes and and what it means to us. Yes. I mean, I just, I'm so grateful, truly. Yeah, me too. My last question for you, what does being home mean to you? Safety. I don't mean like from like robbers or like wolves, although that too, obviously. (laughs) You know, I think for me, I am a very introverted person by nature. And I desperately need a retreat from the world. And that's something that I feel 
I have always loved being home. I have always looked to that moment of being home at the end of the day as one of great kind of relief and comfort. And it really is a sense of being fully yourself, um, not performing for anybody, and being surrounded by love. That's so beautiful. It's mostly about the dog, really. But, you know, there's. <laughs> I'm just trying to find other ways to say the dog. <laughs> but, you know, I, and <laughs> but, you know, truly, I think they're the moments to me that that really make me feel most at home are the ones where I'm with Seth, I'm with Oscar, I'm with the kids and with their mom, kind of just really enjoying and using the space in the way that I think we had always hoped we would, which is to say, as a place to get to know each other better and spend time together and and celebrate things and enjoy it. I love it, Eve. Thank you, Laurie. You're so wonderful. You're so wonderful. I'm so grateful to have you as the leader of Hunker. And I think what you bring to Hunker is a very special brand of your own magic in how you've been leading the voice and the heart of Hunker since the very beginning. I'm very grateful for you. Thank you so much, Lori. That means everything to me. And I think, you know, it is beyond mutual. You're just such a treasure. Thank you, Eve. Thank you, Lori. To learn more about Eve, find her on Instagram at Eve Masako. And for more design, decor, and lifestyle ideas, visit Hunker on Instagram at Hunker Home or head on over to Hunker.com. Be sure to visit our show notes for direct links to where you can discover everything that's going on with Eve Epstein and Hunker. You've been listening to Being Home with Hunker. For more information about this episode or others, visit Hunker.com forward slash podcast. And if you don't already, please follow our show. If you like what you hear, be sure to give us a five-star rating and review and share it with your friends. It really does help. Being Home with Hunker is produced by me, Lori Gunning Grossman, executive produced by Eve Epstein. The podcast is recorded and mixed at Night Shift Audio. Theme music by Jonathan Grossman. Special thanks to our team at Hunker, senior designer, Maury Men, and director of audience development, Gina Goff. Hunker's mission is to inspire and empower you to create a space that expresses who you are, shows off your unique style, and makes your life happier and more productive.